During the Australian summer, Western Sydney can reach temperatures 9 to 10 degrees hotter than the rest of the city. On January 4, 2020, when Sydney was surrounded by bushfires, Penrith reached a whopping 48 degrees Celsius. Right now, all the heat in the world is concentrated in Australia, and Penrith was today the hottest place on the planet. The Western temperature Sydney already has a problem with extreme heat, and this will only get worse with global warming. Poorer people, children, and those with pre-existing medical conditions are at higher risk and are more vulnerable to heat stress than many of us here today. Out of reach of sea breezes and with other factors like high density development and lack of tree canopy cover, the western suburbs are predicted to get hotter. It's something Dr Kim Liu, local GP and New South Wales Chair of Doctors for the Environment, is concerned about. During heat waves, it can be up to 30 degrees inside a house, and that's really not just not compatible with human health. Kim says those most affected are those living in homes with poor energy efficiency. With my patients who are actually have a low income, they can only afford uh, properties that have no thermal efficiency. Energy-efficient homes require very little energy in the form of heating or cooling to achieve comfort. Kim says that many of her patients don't have the privilege of confronting huge energy bills that come with blasting the AC during summer. Because, you know, as a doctor, you look at the biological determinants of disease and look at pharmacology, but then you hit the real world and there are all these issues of housing, equity, that becomes so obvious. And you can't have healthy people without having healthy, stable homes. It's um, the effects of heat stress, especially my elderly uh, patients and um, parents with young children. So the thermal efficiency of houses really determine how well a person is. And like everything else, it's a situation exacerbated by COVID. Normally during summer, when it's really hot, my, a lot of my rent, patients renting in thermally inefficient houses will go to the shopping centre, go to the pools, go to the church where it's air-conditioned. But with COVID and the restrictions, you can't gather people in shopping centres and churches and halls that are air-conditioned. There are so many problems that are stacking on top of each other that... I can just see and I'm so worried about. In this episode of Think Digital Futures, as communities become vulnerable to the effects of climate change, how are architects using new technology to ensure buildings are energy efficient? I'm Julia Karkatzel. An architect hoping to lend a hand is Hank Heusler. I'm the discipline director of computational design and the deputy director for art, architecture and design um, at the AI Institute at UNSW. Hank is designing 3D printed homes tailored to particular regions and climates. I think it has huge potential to really rethink what buildings for hot climates could be. Um, so they really perform in their, in their geometry and, and, and their structure um, and in materiality to a hot climate versus, you know, designing housing 
in Western Sydney that could be effectively anywhere from Tasmania to Queensland um, with completely different climate zones. The process involves feeding data about the climate into a computer program, fast-tracking the design process. Can we feed in environmental conditions, such as you know, the, the demand that a room would have, how many bedrooms, how many bathrooms in there, the position where the building is on Earth um, to orientate and rooms to a different location, um, understanding the material properties of, of clay or cop and saying, well, if you want to design with the material, you might not want to design uh, a box because the material doesn't really align so much for, for boxes, but more a dome shape because it's easier to design a dome. 3D printed homes can be easily customised to allow for better ventilation and draft proofing, allowing them to be naturally cool in summer and warmer in winter. And then design not only a single wall, but design a double wall um, where air can flow through and cooling the building at the same time by, by looking into what termites or, or you know, other animals are doing that's just going to build um, structures out of clay in hot climates, west, for example, that a natural air circulation through a double wall system would cool the structure and therefore would cool the building inside. And 3D printed homes are cost effective, making them appealing for social housing projects around the globe. The economic benefits of 3D printing housing is, is obvious. Um, a machine is, is quicker than a human to fabricate thing. A machine never gets tired. Uh, a machine can you know, fabricate something with high precision. If you look around globally, you, you see people already moving into 3D printing housing. So there's, there's examples in Europe, there's examples in the US. This year, a Dutch couple became Europe's first tenants of a fully 3D printed house built in just 120 hours. While in the US, a 3D printed housing project called Community First Village provided homes for an increasing homeless population in Texas. The homes were reportedly 20 to 50% cheaper than the average price. And this is where the magic happens. This is the 3D printer where the 3D house is being made piece by piece. Sleep, wake up, and I have a phone case in the morning. Okay. Why can't I do it with a house? What's stopping me from doing it with a, a house that someone can live in, someone can raise a There's only one person build this entire house in one week. Hank says 3D printed homes are being built by the construction industry as a way to cut costs but also to reduce environmental damage. While the machine speeds up the process, it also reduces the amount of waste usually produced. The printer prints exactly what's needed and not a gram more. There will be a crisis in the future where we run out of materials. Um, natural resources on Earth are not unlimited, they're finite. You can 3D print more sustainable with um, clay or cop by using locally sourced materials, you know, just the, the, the material, the clay and the cop that exists on site and using them for um, 3D printing. And I think that's a very, very interesting area to look into building more sustainable um, and not depending so much on, on concrete or, or other materials that are traditionally used to build housing. 
While 3D printed buildings in places like Western Sydney sounds good, the reality is most of Australia's housing stock already exists. We've got a huge building stock that from an environmental perspective is, is very, very poor um, and an upgrade there is possible. And if you would say, let's demolish them all and build new, that wouldn't be the, the right approach. For UTS architect Tim Shawk, that involves 3D printing, but just on a smaller scale. You know, in Australia, we have about 98% of all builds, buildings already exist. Um, it's a very small percentage you know, of new builds. So the really big thing is, okay, how do we actually extend the lifespan um, of our existing buildings? Tim and partner BVN Architecture are using 3D printing to retrofit existing buildings. Their project Systems Reef 2, or SR2, offers an energy-efficient alternative to current air distribution systems. That's a fancy way of describing the steel ductwork above your head in the office, moving air around. You may be more familiar with the chilling, unwelcome sensation of sitting beneath an air vent. And many of us don't like that feeling of you know, being exposed to dumping air. It's one of the biggest complaints as well. That's because steel ducts often create drafts and dead zones. Existing air distribution systems are designed for a manufacturing process. They're actually not designed, A, for tenants or for the people breathing the air, and they're not designed actually for how air moves. Tim's project replaces steel ducting with perforated plastic ductwork produced by a 3D printer. How we 3D print air is that we control an industrial robot um, that is highly um, or precisely tuned in order to print um, designed perforations within um, a ducting tube. So instead of having square sections, which is what normal sheet metal ducts are because of the manufacturing process, our ducts um, have a circular section. They are also continuously tapered, so they change in order to maintain air pressure. And the perforations, rather than being at the end of the system that dump air, is that it's a continuously diffused thing. And the result is a giant plastic tree branch-shaped air ventilation system suspended from the ceiling. I think we think it looks beautiful. Um, it is something that um, does not to be hidden. It's a really designed object. SR2 also reduces the embodied carbon, or carbon footprint, of the process by 90%. So it's a, it is um, comparing the embodied um, um, carbon of our project against a metre of um, normal duct, sheet metal duct. So that's the comparison. And that's including the carbon emitted from importing the materials. The material actually doesn't exist currently within Australia. There is no supply chain for that. So we resource this material from Europe. And it takes into account actually also the carbon footprint of the air freight or the plane bringing it from Europe to Australia. So of course, this could be cut even further if we had a local manufacturer do making this material. The building sector is responsible for nearly 40% of annual global greenhouse emissions. And improving air ventilation systems is just one example of how architects are retrofitting existing buildings to make them more energy efficient. 
But Western Sydney GP Dr Kim Liu says retrofitting existing housing stock doesn't have to involve fancy 3D printers and new design processes. It would not take many changes to make a lot of houses more thermally efficient and safer for people. Kim says homes can be made more energy efficient by installing ceiling fans, improving windows with shading, heavy curtains or double glazing, and for the colder months, insulating the ceiling, ceiling gaps and draft proofing. It's not expensive to stick bats in the roof, seal doors and windows. Ideally also put in a, a reverse cycle air conditioner and solar panels. I mean, ideally if we could have that as a basic requirement, but there is no regulation or guidelines for landlords in New South Wales at the moment to do this for renters. Kim is part of a group of 75 organisations calling for minimum standards for rental properties to safeguard the health of renters, protecting them from the impacts of climate change. If you want changes in, in society and behavioural change, you need to make it easy. So if you want safer houses, you need to make it easy for landlords to click on how do I make my rental property more energy efficient? These are the things I have to do and these are the people I contact. She says mechanisms like solar panels are vital as we transition away from fossil fuels and towards a renewable energy grid. It is a human right to have a healthy house and we just need the imagination to transition our communities and also communicate to the communities. But we need policies and politicians and at all levels to be able to communicate to the communities that have, who, who don't have the understanding that the transition is going to ha- happen. It's going to happen anyway because the world is transitioning. People need to understand that with the transition they won't be left behind. Think Digital Futures is made possible with the support of 2SER Radio, the University of Technology Sydney, and is heard around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Think Digital Futures is made in Sydney, which sits on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, whose sovereignty was never ceded. You can subscribe to Think Digital Futures wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Julia Carcatzel. Thanks for your company.